Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rip. Thank you, our color matching song leading team. <laughs> and I'm not too far off, by the way. <laughs> not only do you guys sound good, you look great. Well, I'm glad to be back. And um, I had a great weekend last weekend, for those that know me. I, I was at the Carex Prison we- Ministry weekend last weekend, and the uh, first time I've been like that. And um, I will tell you, it is a mind-blowing opportunity to um, to do that. For those that have done it and those that uh, are interested in doing it, you really need to. Um, in fact, we're going to be having another men's and women's outside weekend uh, coming up in in uh, 2023, February, the last week of February is going to be men's weekend here, and I think there's going to be a ladies' weekend in that same time frame. So, I would encourage all of us to uh, to go through one of those weekends. Mark, you've been through them, and others as well. Jerry's been through one, and uh, I know Gil's been, and a couple others. But it really is good. Jim Jensen is the one that really got me involved, and um, he didn't give me a choice. Quite honestly, he said, um, "Mike, you said if you're going to be my pastor, you're going to go to Carex." And I said, Jim, really? He said, yep. I said, okay, Mr. Jensen, whatever you say, sir. And uh, I'm so glad that he, he did that. So I may put a little heat on you guys, too. You never know if that, if that works. I'm not so sure it'll work for you guys. But anyway, um, so glad. And um, just, you know, I know you don't know the names of these men, but just pray for them in general. It's, it's a forgotten population, those in prison. And it's not that they don't deserve to be there. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going woke here, and I'm not, I'm not going liberal left to say let's free them all. No, I'm not saying that at all. And because they know they need to be there. They deserve to, to pay the price. But they also deserve the opportunity, just like you and I have the opportunity, or deserve to have the opportunity to be forgiven. And, um, and what I find up there for those that are in that world, that they are struggling with the forgiveness of themselves for the pain that they've caused people. And uh, so anyway, just uh, it was really, really good. So we are getting back into our study on the book of Revelation. And um, I hope you've been enjoying this study over the past number of weeks. I know we've taken a few breaks here and there, but um, I am just excited about this book. And um, it has really, truly uh, blessed my heart to study it, and I pray it's blessing you as well. We're getting into the last two chapters beginning now, Revelations chapter 21, and we're going to be speaking about the new heavens and a new earth. But up to this point in time, you know, we've talked about the church age, which is the time that we're living in right now, um, which... We're living in a time now we're at, we're anticipating the rapture of the church. That's the next big event that's going to happen in the spiritual timeline of things is going to be the rapture or the taking away of the church. And um, I think as Pastor Rip has alluded to during our prayer time, it is really close. I really believe that it's really close. And especially when you take a look at the things that are happening around us, you know, just talking just quickly on, you know, the, the results of this election that... Um, I'm not sure if I should be more disappointed in the fact that if the elections were really true and not tainted by through uh, through some fraudulent elections like I think have been in the past, I'm not sure if I should be more encouraged with that or not because when I see the numbers of people that are voting for things that are just plain wrong, immoral, that's even more concerning to think that we have the majority 
of our population in Michigan, especially for voting for Proposal 3. What a terrible thing that they've voted for. And to think that the majority of those voting voted yes, it just shows us the debased nature that our society is in. It is just unbelievable. And I would almost rather have been it would rigged so that at least the majority of people would have been for it and somebody twisted the, the, the election. But I don't think we can say that now. I just think that what's happening when you start looking at even nationally now with the Senate and the, the uh, House representatives, if, if, the, if, if they keep it, we're not in a good place. And so we just have to pray that we as the church do the things that we need to do in the midst of the life that we're living in. So um, we are in that time prior to the tribulation. The rapture then proceeds, precedes the tribulation, which will be a seven-year period of time. And we've already talked about all these things. And in that seven-year tribulation, the church will be in the, in the heaven and will be celebrating the, the wedding uh, the, of the bride. And then after that seven-year period of tribulation will come the second coming of Christ, where actually Christ will actually come down and, and touch his feet on the Mount of Olives, followed by the church, the armies of heaven, which will be the church and, and, and all the angels of heaven, will follow Christ down to the second coming, where Christ will then, uh, with his word, will defeat the Antichrist and all those following him in that big battle. And then after that, will be ushered in the thousand-year millennial reign where we as the church will be reigning with Christ on earth, on a remade earth or reinstituted earth, not new, not a new earth necessarily, but at least a one that will be brought back into a livable perspective and it'll be perfect and it'll be a very peaceful time and Christ will rule with an iron scepter and a rod and uh, we'll be part of that. And then after that, uh, and prior to that, the, the devil will be bound for a thousand years, and so he will not have any of his influence, nor the demonic influence in that thousand-year period. And then after the end of that, will be Satan will be released again for a short time, and he and his demons will go throughout the world and will deceive a great number of people at the end of that thousand years that will have one more battle against God, and God will simply not even have to speak the word, but fire from heaven will come down and destroy Satan and the demonic horde, and then he will cast Satan into that eternal lake of fire of sulfur. And then following that will be the great white throne judgment, which we've already spoken about as well, which all the dead that have rejected Christ will be resurrected again, and they will stand before God, and they will be judged for their sin. And it will then, at that point, if their name is not found in the book of life, then they will be cast into that same burning lake of sulfur that Satan and all of his demonic horde is in. And that will then bring about the great change. And this is what we're going to be talking about now, is that we're going to be talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. So um, we're going to read in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read the whole chapter as the setting today. And then we're going to break it down verse by verse over the next few weeks. So let's begin reading chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Stand with me if you'd like to. It's a long passage, 27 verses. If you want to stand, you can. If you can't, that's okay. Let's read together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away to the spirit in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who had talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh Jacinth, and the twelfth Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does not, who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we read this chapter, God, it is just beyond our comprehension to even begin to imagine the glory that you have in store for us. What you've done, what you're accomplishing, what you're building for us right now is going to be revealed in a way that is going to just be overwhelming to our senses. And I pray, God, as we study this, that it will give us a hunger 
and a hope and will put a tug in our heart for heavenly things. And I pray, God, that you will just allow us to, to understand wisely and correctly your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, we're finally at the point of time here where God is uh, restoring his creation to the way that he originally created it to be, which was perfect and eternal. And like I said already when we prayed, there is nothing we can do to ever begin to really comprehend what God is doing here. We can read it, we can do our best to grasp it and comprehend it, but it's truly beyond human words to describe what God has in store. And uh, Because all, we're, all we can do is compare it to the fallen world that we live in. We have nothing to compare it to. God created this world perfectly. He created it in, 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 a, in a way that was um, undescribable as well. But we all know what happened. Sin tainted it. Not only tainted it, but it destroyed it. And it twisted it to the point that it's unrecognizable in, in heavenly terms anymore. So that's all we can do to try to understand it that way. And God's perfection was in such a way that he's not going to allow the enemy to get away with it forever. In other words, the enemy twisted it, he distorted it, he destroyed it, he brought it down to where it's unrecognizable in heavenly terms. But God's handiwork is not going to be destroyed by the enemy. It may be, it may be in a paused moment of time, but God's going to come and he's going to restore it. The psalmist foresees this back thousands of, thousands of years ago. Psalms chapter 102, verses 25 and 27. The psalmist writes, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. So what John, going now back to our text in Revelation, what John is witnessing here is God preparing the place for his people to live perfectly just like it was when he created the earth on the first time for Adam and Eve. God goes into great detail preparing, creating and preparing the earth um, and even when he, he did that, even knowing that it was going to be twisted, even knowing that it wasn't going to last because God knew this, he saw it in his omniscience, but he still went to the, to the length to create the world as creatively and as awesomely as he did 6,000 years ago. You know, have you ever watched a National Geographic show where they, uh, are, they're, they're exploring the depths of the ocean? And it's so deep that there's no light down there. And they go down there in their submarines and they have lights. And the amazing animals that live down there that are never seen. Or they, or they go in some really remote part of the world and they see other life forms that haven't even been categorized yet. What's so amazing about that is that God in his awesomeness and his creativity created the things in their intricate detail that it had never even seen by man. 
But yet God cares enough about it to create it that way. That just shows you the glory of God. That he would create things. You know, I just am amazed. Even when I look at little insects and things before I squish them, <laughs> I look at them. <laughs> I look at them and think, man, how, how interesting that is. In fact, I got a little stink bug out here this morning on, out in the, the foyer before I picked it up. And I'm looking at it and think, you know, that thing is really creative. And there's a spark of life in that little bug. And then I squished it. Well, I didn't know what else to do with it because if I was going to put it outside, it would have been a slow death because it was cold. And so I was being, I was being compassionate, merciful. merciful. <laughs> it had no place in here. <laughs> but you know, God just has a way of creating things in such a way for His glory that um, it's just amazing. And yet, and yet we read in Romans chapter eight that even the creation is groaning because of the sin of mankind. In Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, Paul said this, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Listen to this. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, mankind, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God when we are brought into the freedom of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So what's really happening here? God's creation, living and non-living, even the rocks, even the mountains, even the trees, of course trees are living, have been subjected to the suffering and the physical catastrophic, man, my mind is just kind of jello right now. Yes, catastrophic, caused by the sin that Adam and Eve brought to the world. Sin brought death, even to creation. And so now we are seeing in the new heavens and the new earth that God is preparing an eternal home for all those that have proven their love for him by who accepted Christ, made him their Savior and Lord, and now God is basically saying that, that I am creating a new perfect place for you. That sin had contaminated everything before, and it's no longer good enough for the Holy Ones. So I'm going to remake everything. And I'm going to make it better than I did before. Man will never tarnish it again. It will never be accursed with sin again. I'm going to make it so special. That's what the new heavens and a new earth are going to be like. Can you imagine God wanting to clean house for us? Can you imagine God saying, you know what, I want to clean my house. I want to clean up this earth. I want to clean up my creation for the lovely ones that have been created. You know how much work you, you go to when your grandkids are coming, or your kids are coming home for a holiday? How much work do you do cleaning the house? My wife goes through a lot of work cleaning the house, and I'm sure you do, you do as well. But can you imagine how much God is going to be looking forward to that day when he can clean house for us and bring us home to that? That's what's happening. And it's beautifully um, more than what we can even begin to imagine. But God is not only just cleaning the house, he's remodeling the house. Read on in Revelation 21, 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And now look, this is an amazing point that we'll come back to later, but I find it very interesting that the world today is over 71% of the world is covered by salt water. That leaves 30% of the land that is, and not even, a, and a small portion of that is even inhabitable because of mountains and because of other geographic conditions. But it would have been a very obvious thing when John saw the new heavens and a new earth created. I can understand now why he says, and I saw no sea, because look at that globe. It's all water. So when he sees it created and there's no sea, he's going to see all landmass around that instead of any sea. Now, we're going to come back to why that's important. Maybe not today, but we will in another in another another Sunday. But when God creates that, He creates it in a way that um, there will be no limitation from going from Africa to America and so forth. You'll have have no sea going vessels. But it's also important to recognize that that doesn't mean there won't be water. There won't be rivers, and there won't be lakes. There just won't be great seas that will be dividing the land masses any longer. Revelation chapter 22, here's an indicator that there will be water. Revelation 22, the first two, the first two verses, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the greatest street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. So there is going to be water on the earth, but it won't be covered by the seas any longer. And that may not seem like a major point now, but it will later. So hold on to that. We'll, we'll come back to that in another in another week or so. So what we're seeing now is God preparing for us a new earth where God is going to be dwelling with us. Revelation chapter 21 verses 2 and 3. John goes on to say, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. So John's attention is now drawn to this city coming down from heaven that settles on earth. And the city is described as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. John also hears a a loud voice. This is the, the last time of 21 times in the book of Revelation that John hears a loud voice. He hears a loud voice from heaven And this loudness of the voice is stressing the importance and the authority of what's about to be proclaimed. Because he says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is the beginning now of God dwelling with men visibly. Up until this time in life, when we see God and man, they're always separated. God cannot be looked upon by human nature because of the sinfulness in us that we will we would die if we saw the glory of God. But at this point in time, we will be able to see God face to face. Things are changing now, and um, but it's not that it's not that God has changed, because God is unchangeable. It's man that's changed, and now that we are in our glorified bodies and that sin is no more, 
that we are as holy as God is holy, and now we can cohabitate and live with God face to face. Again, we just can't quite comprehend what that's going to be like. Uh, There's nothing that I can even begin to describe with you or imagine in my mind. But it's only going to get better after that as well. It's only going to continue to get better because Revelation 21 chapter uh, verse 4 says, Then he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now we're going to spend most of our time here speaking about this this morning because this is really significant. Can you remember when you were a child and you got hurt and you went running into the house looking for mom (laughs) because mom would give you that hug and she would pull you up on her lap and she would make all your pain go away. She'd kiss you in the top of the head or kiss your boo-boo or whatever and all of a sudden the pain would just melt away because mom was there. Well, that's what it's going to be like when God wipes away our tears. Imagine the warmth of his hug and absolute peace and joy and comfort that will be brought to your soul. When there will be no more saying goodbye, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more misery, You see, up to this point in time, death and separation is still ongoing. Even through the millennial reign. There will be people that will still die in the millennial reign. Though if they die, they will be accursed. So death is with us, and it will be with us until this time in heaven. So I want to speak of today. Heaven today. See, even now, there are those that are in heaven... And they're freed from all of their pain and misery. They're completely healed of their sickness. Whatever it was that caused them to die, they're completely healed of that. And they are not experiencing any grief. They're not experiencing any misery at all. They're perfectly in their in, in their peaceful state. But let me ask you the question. Could there still be in here, tears in heaven today? Could there still be tears in heaven today? I think there are. I think there are. And I'm going to explain to now for the next few minutes why I believe there is. Because there are events that are happening in heaven today and will be happening in heaven for a period of time that could possibly bring tears. First of all, every believer is going to be standing before Jesus in the judgment seat of Christ. You and I will stand before Christ as a believer in the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we will not be judged here for our salvation because our salvation is already assured because we're there. But we will be judged on our works. And I think there may be some tears of regret. I think there may be some times where you'll think, boy, I I missed it. The sins of omission. How many times did I miss what God wanted me to do? How many times, how many people could I have helped more if I would have been more, more willing and more open to listen to the voice of God? And so there may be, I'm not saying that there aren't, I'm just speculating a little bit here, so bear with me. But I'm suggesting that there might be some tears of regret 
Even though our eternity is set, how about the people that we missed here on this earth? So what that should do for us today is make us more attentive to those around us. Make us more intent on making sure that we're listening to God and obeying Him so that we're not potentially going to be regretting those days. And then there's the white throne judgment that for those that have rejected Christ, surely there will be tears for those people. Surely there will be tears of great regret for those that have rejected Christ. I think probably one of the hardest things about eternal judgment for the evil is the fact that their minds will never be erased, I don't believe, of the opportunities they had that they could have received Christ. I think that's going to be probably one of the one of the heaviest things on their mind, if they can think beyond the pain, will be of those times that they've rejected Christ. So I think there are some times that, that tears could be in heaven from a not-so-good thing. But I believe there is another, more important reason that I think there could be tears in heaven, but not from a negative perspective. I think there may be great tears in heaven, not from sorrow, but from intense intercession. How many times have you been brought to tears on earth as you're praying for those that you're interceding for? How many times have you been brought to tears on the altar for people and for things that have grieved your soul? You see, all of us that have lost loved ones from this life that we know are in heaven... I think we can be greatly encouraged here. I really like this. And I believe that what I'm about to say is biblically sound. So work with me here as we go through this. According to Paul, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. The reason I bring this to bear now is because we are adopted into the family of God upon salvation. Do you agree with that? We can cry, Abba, Father. That's the most intimate form of Daddy. God now is our Father. We are a joint heir with Christ, meaning that we have the same rights spiritually as Christ has. An adopted son or adopted daughter, if you adopt a child into your family through the legal system, they have the same rights as a natural child, correct? And that's what God is saying here. That we are adopted into the family of God, we have the same rights as Christ. So the question is, what is Christ doing in heaven today? What is Christ doing in heaven today? Well, let's read down in this same chapter of Romans, chapter 8, 34, verse 34. It says, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, so he's alive, 
Where is he at? He's at the right hand of God, and what is he doing? He's interceding for us. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I today on earth. All right, so work with me here. Jesus is actively interceding on our behalf. Now think about the loved ones that preceded you. I'm, sp- I'm thinking of my dad. I'm thinking of my mom. I'm thinking of my grandma and grandpa. I'm thinking of my Uncle Bob, Aunt Florence, a, a number of others. They're now in heaven today, perfectly healthy. But what are they doing? Do you think they're just up there concerned about themselves? See, I think that if my dad, let me use him for an example, if my dad loved me on earth, why would he not love me when he's in heaven? Why would he not be concerned with me if he's in heaven? If he was concerned about my well-being on earth, why wouldn't he be just as concerned in heaven? And I would say that it's not only are they in love with me like they were on earth, but I think they love me even more because now they love me the way Christ loves me. In their perfection, they know how to love, love the way Christ loves, unconditionally now. Not only can they love me that way, but I think their eyes have already also been opened to the spiritual battle that I face because now they're seeing as Christ sees. They're seeing the spiritual warfare around us like they've never seen it before. So for these reasons, I believe that they have every right to be in the throne room of God with Jesus, their brother, making intercession for those on earth. I don't believe that they have every right to see into my life the way God does. There are nothing, nothing I can hide from God. There's no place I can go to hide from God. God sees all my thoughts. He sees me wherever I'm at, where I lay down, where I rise up, wherever I'm at, the Bible says. I'm not saying that those in heaven can see the way God sees. But I do believe that God gives them a glimpse of my life. I do believe that God gives them a glimpse of my spiritual life and the battles that I'm in. Why? Because I believe that they're battling for me in heaven as Jesus is battling for me in heaven. And I believe that can bring tears. I believe that can be t- bring tears of intercession for as long as there are people on earth going through the struggles that we face, the battle rages for us. And therefore, the battle and the prayers of heaven will continue to rage as well. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, I know we can we can apply that to our lives today, right? But can we not apply that to heavenly prayers as well? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Clearly, the people there are righteous. You see, I really believe that when I can see into heaven this way, I can see an encouragement to me. Now listen, I have to be careful here because we have no right to pray to the saints. We cannot pray to saints. We pray to Jesus. We pray to the God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the model that we pray. 
I don't pray to St. Paul. I don't say, I don't pray to my dad. I don't talk to my dad. I don't do that. That's not right. But the Bible never says that he can't pray for me. He doesn't say that the saints, in fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that great cloud of witnesses. Who are they? They're watching. They're, they're, they're cheering us on in our race. So I really believe that there are tears in heaven today, and there will be tears in heaven until the time when all time, all warfare, all spiritual battles, all death is done and over for once and all will there be no more tears in heaven. And that's where Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 comes in. At that point, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. You see, in heaven, there is no crying or, or there's no uh, pain in heaven. I understand that. But there's pain down here. And I think as long as there's pain down here, it's going to cause those in heaven to pray in a way of intercession that's going to bring tears. These aren't bad tears. They're intercessory tears. But here's the thing. God's going to say, it's all done, guys. There's no more reason for any tears because when I wipe them away in that time, when we're talking about now the new heavens and the new earth, I will wipe away tears then and there will be no more reason for tears ever. I like that. That gives me great comfort. It gives me great hope. It gives me great peace. And I dwell on those things. I think that's a good thing to think about. Jackie, would you come, please? We're just getting ready to see the glory of the new heavens and the new earth as we get into next week's study and beyond. I think what I'm hoping that we're doing by studying this is that it gives us a great anticipation of, of, of heaven. It's giving us a hunger. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about that little boy that was flying the kite, and, and the kite was so high up in the air that he couldn't see the kite anymore, but he could feel the tug of the kite on his kite string, and that's, what, that's why he knew he was, the kite was still there, because he could feel the tug, right? Well, as we appear up in the skies, we don't see heaven, but we certainly can feel the tug of it on our heart. And, I, and I'm praying that that's what we're getting here, because we need to have that tug to keep us encouraged when we see the things that are happening in our society around us today. Right? Mark, when things are tough on the job, think of these things. Think of what God has in store for us. That the best yet is the best is yet to come. Really. I mean seriously. The best is yet to come. When I was in the prison weekend last weekend with those men that had no ever ever hope of ever getting out to see another free day in their life, I could share this with them and say the best is yet to come. There's going to come a day when you and I are going to walk on the streets of heaven together and we're going to be free. There's no prison bars that are going to keep you in, down any longer. Prison for them is physical. Maybe prison for us is emotional. Maybe we're in a prison as well. But there's coming a day. And this is the encouragement that we can bring so that we can learn to live not with our eyes in the sky and, you know, waiting on the mountaintops and not doing anything, but as we're productively working in the kingdom here, productively doing everything so that we have ever no reason for tears of regret that we missed an opportunity. That we missed an opportunity for God. 
work hard today. And I heard the illustration that if, if you had an opportunity to work five minutes in your life and then experience after five minutes an eternity of heaven, how hard would you work in those five minutes? How hard would you work for those five minutes if you knew you had an eternity of rewards? Well, can I say that our 70 to 80 years is not even going to be comparable to five minutes to eternity? It's going to be a tenth. It's going to be a blip. Our time on earth, the time that we're in right now, it may seem so hard and so long, but I just want to encourage you to keep the faith. Stay strong. Keep working hard. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let the devil rob you of any victory that you can get in this world. And pray for people. Intercede for people. Because God has so much in store for us. It's so obvious that the time is getting so near that the time for playing games with God is over. We are a remnant here. We need to be the most powerful remnant we can be. We need to impact the church, the capital C church, with a little fire in the remnant that we have to go into the world and to rekindle the spark in the lives of the churches around us and the people around us. I love Paul's encouragement that he gave in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Listen, let me read that again. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is, but on what is is unseen since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait for that day when my eyes are opened and I can actually see heaven. I can see the angels in this room. I would love to see the angels in this room. And some people are gifted to do that. I, I so badly would love to see an angel in this room. But I know they're there. I can feel their presence. I can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And I want to encourage you with that today. That as you go into your workplace, as you go into your homes, that you always go knowing that you're never alone. Even though you may feel that way, you're not. Can I just encourage you with that? We're going to be a stronger minority than the majority out there. And Pastor Rip already said it. The love of many, the love of most, will grow cold. And they are. Let us not be one of those. Let our hearts be fervently on fire, passionate, emboldened for the kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning. We are so thankful, Holy Spirit, that you are leading us, that you are guiding us, that you are showing us what is ahead. Why? Because it encourages us to live through the times that we're in right now. God, you're giving us many opportunities to be powerful in your kingdom. And I'm thinking of some men right now in my life that you've put in in front of me, God, that I would be faithful to those men. And I pray that you put those 
people in the minds of your people here, men and women, that you would just bring those people to our minds even now, that you're putting them in our heart because you have a mission for us to accomplish in their life, that we need to be evangelists. We need to share the love of God to those around us. They need you so bad. They need you, God, just like we need you. And I pray, God, that you would just embolden us and strengthen us and encourage us to love people like we've never loved them before. That our heart of love would be so overwhelming and so big and overflowing, I pray. I pray for grace. I pray for mercy. I pray for an uncompromising spirit that we would hold strong to our convictions, but but we would love people and they would feel the love and they would see the love as we pull them along with us into heavenly things. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you will. Let's sing the song that Tom and Jack are playing.
Pastor Rip, you gave a great analogy of how the church today, for many of us, are walking with their faces down. But listen, folks, we need to change. We need to let our faces rise up and look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. And when you go into the workplace, let the melody of joy be your weapon. Amen? No more bitterness. No more arguing. No more resentment. No more fear. But let the joy of the Holy Spirit be your strength. And let them look at you and say, I want what you have. Because how can you be so joyful in this time that we're living in? Because we know that this is not our home. Amen? We're journeying through. God has got so much in store for us that's great and grand. And we're just journeying through. So let the melody be your weapon. Amen? Father, I just pray you go with us today and give us the joy of the Lord today. Help us to be a joyful people. A joyful people in the midst of darkness that the darkness would flee from us because when we walk into the room, joy fills the room. Positive nature fills the room. The positive hope of the Holy Spirit fills the room that we're in because Jesus is before us and the Holy Spirit is leading us and we're just flowing over. And I pray for your people today. I pray that you just bless them as they go into their homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Be blessed today.